Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right. Well, hey, we're going to get into the Word today. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. We have been in a series for the last couple of weeks entitled By Faith. Come on, someone say By Faith today. Okay. By the way, just fair warning, today is going to be one of those those Sundays where I ask for a lot of verbal engagement from you. Uh, in fact, I'll just take 10 seconds here, probably more, and just encourage you around this. Um, you know, we, we, we talk often after church about the difference between some of the services, and it's a bit of a, mid, a moving target. Sometimes the 9 o'clock service is rowdier than the 11 o'clock service. Sometimes the 11 o'clock service is rowdier than the 9 o'clock service. Uh, but whatever service you come to, even if you kind of bop back and forth between the two, let me encourage you, be verbally engaged in the sermons here at the, at the Father's House. Uh, we are all about hollering back during the message. You are welcome to throw your amens, your come ons, your that's goods, all that stuff. And it's not just because it makes me feel better about what I'm saying, although in true transparency, it makes me feel better about what I am saying. But I believe in, in creating an environment of faith. When, I, when, when new people walk in here for the first time at the Father's house, I don't want them to just experience a couple of people up here singing songs and some guy up there with stunning ankles preaching the message. I don't want any of that. I want people to encounter the presence of Jesus in this room before they leave. And you actually have the ability to place a demand on the anointing. You have the ability to create an environment of faith with your words and people will get swept up into that. So feel free, throw some stuff back at me. Wave a hanky, scream at the top of your lungs, slap somebody next to you, get Pentecostal in church today because that's the kind of house you're in. Someone say amen. All right, let's try it one more time. By faith. By faith. By faith is not just our series title. Uh, it is also the theme of the Father's House in 2022 because we believe that the Holy Spirit has invited us this year to elevate our faith to begin to believe for some things that maybe you've stopped believing for, or maybe for the first time, you're ready to have the audacity to say, I believe that God can do this in my life, to take some bigger risks in your journey of faith, to, to, to pray those prayers that make you sweat a little bit as the words leave your mouth. As we've said every single week, we wanna be like Peter, stepping out of the boat in the middle of the storm and saying, Jesus, I trust that I can walk on water. Like the woman who was sick for 12 years and she, she made her way through the crowd and she refused to be stopped and she clung to the hem of Jesus's garment and said, I will not let go until I get what I came for. We want to be those audacious by faith kind of people this year. And to inspire us to be that kind of a community, we've been looking at a passage of scripture, well, a whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, as some scholars and theologians have coined it, the hall of faith. But specifically, our key text is found in the first three verses, Hebrews 11 verses one through three, where we read, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It is the evidence of things we can't see. By faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. And by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And if you weren't here for week one, we spent the entirety of our time talking about that definition of faith. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. We determined that that word confidence in the Greek is the word hypostasis, and it means the substructure or the foundation. In other words, faith is absolutely foundational to this thing called Christianity. It is what all of our hopes are built on, specifically the future hope of salvation. Without faith, we have nothing. This entire thing crumbles. That's the way the Christian crumbles. If we have no faith, it's a solid Walter Cronkite right there. 
that faith is, is, is absolutely imperative in this journey. And then last week, we entered into the first of many stories in this hall of faith that are meant to inspire us and instruct us on how we're, how we're to live. And we looked at a couple of brothers named Cain and Abel. And as uh, Robin, my wife, mentioned just a moment ago, we learned that there was a difference between their two offerings. Uh, Abel brought the first and the best of his life to God, and Cain brought the rest or the leftovers of his life. And we determined that if we are going to be a by faith people in 2022, we need to bring God the best and not the rest of our lives. Uh, today, we are going to look at yet another story in this collection of stories. Uh, for those who are the Bible scholars, yes, you will notice that I am skipping over the second of those stories about a guy named Enoch. Uh, truth be told, I'm a bit of a chicken and I could not find enough content to preach about Enoch. I just saw you put your hands up like, come on, pastor, for real. Do a little more studying, buddy. Well, my wife is potentially going to tackle that one next week because she's a better Christian than me. So today I took the, the easier route and we're going to be talking about a guy named Noah. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven. Here's what we're going to focus in on today. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By this act of obedience, he condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Noah built a boat. Uh, in full disclosure, it took every ounce of self-control for me to not name this sermon today. I'm on a boat. And that some of you understand what that means, which means you also understand how inappropriate it would have been for me to name this sermon, that title. So I've chosen to embrace the the, the, the much more respectable, mature man of God that I am, and I'm offering a different title today as we get into this. Uh, if Noah's faith was displayed by the fact that he built a boat, I wanna call this chat, I'm building something. I'm building something. Come on, turn to somebody next to you with a little bit of attitude. I want you to tell them, I'm building something. Okay, okay, let's, let's try that again. I'm building something. That was not what I meant. Yeah, come on, turn to somebody with, come on, with a little bit of swagger, get aggressive about it and tell them, I'm building something. Yeah, come on, stand to your feet, I'm building something. <laughs> you guys are about to get into a fight, I like it. Now I'm in the right church. All right, let's pray and we'll get into it. Uh, Jesus, we invite you here right now to speak to us over these next couple of moments. I thank you for your word and I thank you that it has the power to transform our minds and our hearts and our lives and we ask that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open so that we could receive what you would speak to us today. May we not leave this place the same as when we walked in, but may we leave transformed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. Amen. So I would assume, um, based on the fact that probably most of us in the room are somewhat familiar with Christianity and the Bible, that many of us here have a bit of a framework for the story of Noah. We know a little bit about him, but I also know that there's a lot of new believers here in the church, and so allow me for a couple of moments to just give you the Cliff Notes version of Noah's life so that we are all building on the same foundation for this message. Um, we are introduced to Noah in the book of Genesis chapter six, and we are told that Noah finds himself in the middle of a generation that has become exceedingly wicked. The world has gotten more and more evil during Noah's day. In fact, God goes as far as to say in the book of Genesis that everything people thought and everything that people did was inherently evil. Uh, we see the over-sexualization of their culture. We see people raping women constantly. We see violence and arrogance and, and murder. The, the, the things have gotten pretty bad. 
But we are told that in the middle of this culture, Noah was a man of God. He alone was a man of righteousness and he walked with God. And as a result of his righteousness, God was going to use him to do something that had never been done before. One day God comes to Noah and he tells him, the earth has gotten exceedingly wicked and I can't handle it anymore. I've had all I can stand and I can stand no more. And he decides that he's gonna do a a bit of a reset on planet earth, a, a mulligan, if you will. And he says, Noah, I'm gonna flood the earth. I'm gonna cause it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm gonna wipe out the entirety of human civilization. Uh, but I'm gonna make one exception, actually eight exceptions. You, your wife, your three sons and their spouses will be spared from this coming destruction. And I'll have some animals involved in the process as well. Um, here's how I'm gonna save you. I would like you to build a boat, a very large boat. And as you complete the construction project of this boat, I'm gonna have a bunch of animals board it with you and you're gonna stay there while I flood the earth. And then after the conclusion, uh, you and your family will populate the earth from that day forward. So Noah gets busy building this boat and after a hundred years of construction, they lived a lot longer back then, which is a different sermon for a different time. But after a hundred years of construction, the boat is complete. Noah and his family get onto the boat and God sends the rains. The entire earth floods, everybody dies, except for those that are on the boat. And once the water recedes and Noah and his family make their way onto dry ground, they begin the process of repopulating the earth. And God says to Noah and subsequently to all future generations, he says, I'm making a covenant with you, a promise to you that I will never again do this to the earth. I will never destroy the earth as I have. And as a sign of my covenant and my promise to you, I'm going to send a rainbow in the sky. And when you see that rainbow, here's what I want you to remember. I have predetermined to show mercy instead of judgment for humanity's evil. My mercy will be visible with a rainbow in the sky. And that is the conclusion of the story. That's where the story of Noah ends. This concludes story time with Pastor Tim. You are welcome. It spans for four full chapters in the book of Genesis, from Genesis 6 to Genesis 9. And if in your free time this week, you go back and you read through those stories, you'll find a number of spiritual applications. You can look at the story of Noah and his family. You can look at the animals. You can look at what happened afterwards. There's plenty of content to draw from in this text. Yet what I find fascinating is that this scripture we read in Hebrews chapter 11, which allows Noah to be named among the great heroes of faith, mentions none of the content that we read in Genesis 6 through Genesis 9. In fact, it seems as though the author focuses on a period of time that we have no knowledge of, this hundred years of construction with the boat as proof that Noah was a great man of faith. If you go back and you read, you'll see chapter six ends by saying, so Noah set about to build the boat that the Lord commanded him to build. And chapter seven starts out by saying, when the boat was completed. We don't see anything in this hundred year timeline. And yet the author here tells us that what took place during those hundred years is evidence of Noah's great faith. And so what I'd like to do for the next couple of moments, if I could, is apparently allow us to use our imagination and look at what we do know about Noah and what we can assume based on this text took place during those hundred years and to draw some conclusions so that if Noah is the example of faith, we can live by faith like Noah did. So let me offer you a couple of them. We're going to go through three. Number one, Noah displays his great faith by, number one, Faith walks. Faith walks. What we 
do know about Noah was that he was a man who walked with God. It is clear that, that Noah was a man of righteousness. That is, that is laid out in the text for us in the book of Genesis. But what's perhaps most interesting is the context in which Noah walked with God. We are told very clearly that the world had become exceedingly wicked, that nobody was interested in following God. Noah chose to live a God-centered life in an anti-God culture. And thus, we can conclude that when Noah walked with God, he walked alone with God. It was him and him alone. See, it's one thing to follow God, to walk with him, when you are surrounded by a group of like-minded individuals. It's an entirely different thing to walk with God when you're the only one who's interested in serving him in your world. See, think about it for a moment. You're in a room full of mostly Christians. I'm sure that there's some people in here that are not walking with God today. In fact, I hope that there are. But most of the people in the room today would probably identify as Christians. And it is not difficult for you to walk with God or to worship Jesus in this room. As we were lifting up our voices a couple of moments ago and we were spinning in circles as we were singing that song, no, if you lifted your hands and you were worshiping, no one was going to look to the side and go, dude, what's the matter with you? You are a weirdo. What are you doing right now? Like no one's looking at you sideways, except for maybe one of these guys on the wall that's looking at you sideways all morning long from the wall. But they're always like that. Don't worry, we'll paint over them one day. It's going to be great. If you opened your Bible in here and began to read or you started praying, everyone's looking around at the walls right now. Stop. One, two, three, eyes on me. Okay. One, two, eyes on you. But, but everyone in this room is, isn't going to look at you sideways if you do Christian things in here because you're surrounded by like-minded individuals. But what about when you're not? What about when you are the only person who will pray in that environment? What about when you're the only person who will open up their Bible in that environment? What about when you're the only person who lives with a set of godly convictions in that environment? What do you do then? See, I think one of the greatest tests of your faith is whether or not you have the ability to walk with God in solitude. If you can walk with God when nobody else around you is walking with God. If you can pray when no one else will pray. If you can confess God in the middle of that situation when nobody else will. If you can worship in the middle of that environment when no one else will. That is one of the greatest tests of your faith. And sadly, it's a test that many Christians try to avoid. Sadly, what we like to do is to find ourselves in safe environments where we never have to learn to walk with God in, in solitude. So we surround ourselves in certain pre-constructed environments, but not realizing that if we never learn how to walk with God alone, we will fail that test over and over and over again. Let me give you one example of many. Um, I've mentioned before that my wife and I, before we were pastors here, uh, we were youth pastors for a decade. In fact, someone from our youth ministry is sitting in the third row today. Good to see you, Taylor. Good to have you. Some of our leaders from that youth ministry. And um, they can attest to the fact that the city we came from, for whatever reason, really liked to homeschool a lot of the kids there. And so in our youth ministry, there was a bunch of homeschool kids. And you could always identify the homeschool kids. <laughs> They always wore the not of this world t-shirts and they had the Crocs and you know, they were those kids. I'm just kidding, that's not true. To be honest, most of them were the best behaved in the youth ministry. Mad awkward, but really well behaved. <laughs> and and the, 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 the reason we had so many homeschool students in our youth ministry is because we had a lot of controlling parents in our youth ministry. 
And those parents felt that if they created an environment for their children where they controlled the narrative, if they create an environment where they could surround their students with like-minded people and everyone believed what they believed and thought how they thought and they could create this little bubble around their kids, then they would be safe from the woes of the public school system and the indoctrination of the culture. And honestly, it worked for 18 years. It worked for a season. They controlled the environment and most of those kids made their way through high school and they ended up serving God as best they could during their teenage years. But we all know what happens after that. Suddenly the world gets real. You go off to college, you go off to the military, you go off to the trade school, and suddenly you are surrounded by people who do not believe what you believe or think how you think. And unfortunately, because you've never learned how to walk with God alone, when your Christian bubble popped, so did your faith, because you didn't know how to stand on a foundation that you built for yourself. You were borrowing your mom and your dad's faith, and you were just the byproduct of a controlled environment. No, 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 no. If you are going to be a believer that lives by faith, you have got to know how to walk with God when nobody else will. This is one of the greatest tests of your faith. And at the risk of doing that thing that preachers do where we over-exaggerate a reality in an attempt to prove a point, allow me to over-exaggerate a reality to prove a point. You find yourself, yes, whether you realize it or not, in a very similar culture to Noah. It is, it is not hard to look around and realize that things have degraded down to their current state. It has become increasingly wicked. And I'm not one of those guys who's like, man, I wish we could go back to the 50s when things were a little bit different. I'm not that guy. But let's be honest. The things that are celebrated in our culture, the things that have become normal in our culture, they were not normal 10, 20, 30 years ago. The culture has become exceedingly wicked. And in many ways to walk with God in this culture, it feels like you are walking alone. I know that you are not the only Christian on planet earth. You're surrounded by some of them here this morning and there's many more. But I also know that there's some people in the room today who find yourself in a world that feels like you are the only person serving Jesus. I think about the people in this room here that are, are living in a home and you're the only believer in your home. You're the only one who will pray in your home. You're the only one living by those sets of convictions in your home. Everybody else wants nothing to do with God and you know what that feels like. I think about some of the single moms in our church who are raising their kids as best they can in the house of God, but dad wants nothing to do with God. Or maybe not a single mom, maybe a married couple, but one of those people is uninterested in being involved with faith and the other is. And you're the only one in your home that will pray for your kids. You're the only one in your home that will make godly decisions and live with integrity. You're the only one who will say, I can't watch that on the television and we can't allow that into the environment of our home. I know that there's people here, you're the only person in your workplace that will pray. You're the only person that will say no to your boss when they ask you to do something that goes against your convictions. You are very familiar with the isolating nature of faith. You, you know that that faith is what keeps you from going out with people after work and uh, winding down the way that they wind down because your faith won't let you do that. You know what it feels like to, to, to not engage in those conversations in your home or with your friends because you can't do that and still maintain the convictions of the Holy Spirit. You know what it feels like to have the argument come up constantly with the, with the partner or the other person because you're trying to make decisions based on faith and they want nothing to do with it. You know the isolating nature of faith. 
But if I could be the voice of the Holy Spirit for 30 seconds here this morning, let me step into that and let me just tell you, please keep walking. Keep walking with Jesus when nobody else will walk. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Do not grow weary in doing good. God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I know it feels like you're alone, but you're not alone because you got a friend that sticks closer than a brother and you are a light, whether you realize it or not, in the middle of that dark environment. You have been set there on mission as the image bearer of Jesus and you may be the only image bearer of Jesus that that environment ever sees. So don't grow weary, keep serving, keep praying, keep reading, keep confessing, keep worshiping, keep walking because faith walks in an environment when nobody else will walk with God. Keep walking. Number two, faith walks. Secondly, if we look at the life of Noah, here's what we can tell. Faith also builds. Faith builds. I'm building something. Hebrews eleven seven says it like this. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. Apparently, the evidence of Noah's faith is, is represented in these two sentences. Noah built a boat. God told him something was going to happen that had never happened before. So, so let's lean into that a little bit. Again, we don't have a lot of details about this 100-year period. There's not much we know. So we're forced to use our imagination. So follow me on this imagination journey as we consider what might have been taking place in Noah's day. Here's the way that I see this conversation taking place. Uh, God comes to Noah. He says, hey, yo, no, um, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. You got a minute? And I was like, for sure, it's your God, whatever you need. And he's like, okay, go grab your iPad. I, God is a little ghetto for me. It's awesome. So, so he says, hey, grab your iPad, grab a pen. We're gonna, we're gonna, I want you to write some stuff down. And Noah's like, okay, go. So he's like, okay, uh, I'm about to kill everybody. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so the earth has become exceedingly wicked. No one's serving me, but you know, you're my guy, Noah. You're my, you're my boy. Thanks for serving me and living a righteous life when no one else will. Um, so I'm gonna kill everybody. I'm gonna cause it to rain on planet earth, 40 days, 40 nights, big old flood. Every living thing is gonna die, but I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna save your family. Um, and here's how I'm gonna save you. Uh, I want you to build a boat, a, a heck of big boat. It's really big. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, three stories. It, it's a massive mansion of a boat. I want you to build that. And when you're done, you guys are going to get on the boat uh, along with your family and I'll send some animals your way. It's going to be really weird. They're going to come two by two, but don't worry about it. It'll be kind of fun. And then you and the zoo are going to live on this boat for a little while while it rains. And then when the flood water recedes, you guys go out there and you make babies. Sound good? No, it's like, cool, 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 cool. Okay. Um, just a couple of questions, if I could, God, just real quick. Okay, Noah, what do you got? So, um, everyone's going to die. Yeah, everyone's going to die. Okay. Um, you, said, you said a flood. Yeah, I said a flood. Okay, it's going to rain for, for 40 days, 40 nights. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay, just one quick question, God, to make sure we're clear here. Um, what's rain? See, what you have to realize is at this time in history, it had never rained on the earth before. God had never caused it to rain on planet earth. We find in Genesis chapter two that the way plants and vegetation were watered in these days was in the cool of the evening. There was a mist that came over the land, much like San Francisco. 
And the vegetation was watered by these underground reservoirs. And rain had never fallen from the sky before. So, so when God tells Noah to build a boat, he's asking him to do something that he has zero framework for. He has never seen rain fall from the sky. He has no idea of what a rainstorm might look like. Furthermore, Noah is not living in some coastal town where it would be normal for you to have a couple of jet skis or a boat in your driveway. Noah is living in the middle of a dry land mass, basically the middle of the desert. And God says, hey, build a boat in the desert when no one else has a boat in their front yard. Like this is crazy stuff God is asking Noah to do. And, and when we understand that, we begin to get a little bit of a picture into the chaos that would have ensued after Noah chose to obey God in this command. I mean, you can imagine what it felt like to be the guy building a boat in your backyard in the middle of a desert. Imagine the rejection and the ridicule. Imagine all the people talking in the town and Noah's friends rejecting him. No one wanting to go near that house. Hey kids, don't you ever go down to that house. You stay away from Noah's house. That dude is weird. He's loony. I thought he was already weird. He had that van with no windows. Now he's building a boat in his backyard. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Like, like Noah is the talk of the town. No one likes this guy. He is rejected by everybody. And yet, by faith, Noah ignored every ounce of criticism and he had something in his spirit that said, I don't care what everybody else is saying, I'm building something. I am building what God has called me to build. It is my conviction that every person who follows Jesus is building something. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, God has given you a blueprint to build something with your life, something significant, something of meaning. And often the thing that he is calling you to build has never been built before because it is unique to the calling that he has placed on your life. In fact, let me ask you that question. As you consider your life today, let me ask you, what are you building? What boat in the backyard has God called you to construct? What thing that has never been done before in your life or your history, what has God called you to build? I know that there's probably some people here that God has called to build a family that has never been built before. You are the first person in your family to have faith. You come from a, a long line of dysfunction and divorce and abuse and addiction. And yet God, by his grace, got a hold of your life and he rescued you from some generational curses. And he said, I'm gonna break them with your generation. I'm gonna cause you to build a family that has never been built before. Just keep following me. And there's something in you that says, I'm building something. I'm building a family that doesn't look like the one that I came from. But this has never been built before in your family. You can't pick up the phone and call your mom or your dad and ask how they got through that argument without getting divorced because they didn't. You can't call and ask, hey, what should I do with my children right now? And I'm not sure this is what I'm reading in the Bible, but this is because they didn't do that with you. 
You can't call someone and ask how to have a responsible relationship with alcohol because that's not the family you came from. You're building something that has never been built before, but you know this is what God has called me to build. So I'm going to put down my face and I'm going to get to work and I'm going to build what he's calling me to build. Building something. I know that there's probably some people here, you're building a future that has never been built before. A future for your kids and their children. As it says in Proverbs, the wise man stores up an inheritance for his children's children. Maybe you come from a long line of people that worked five jobs just to make ends meet, or you came from a family of, of immigrants that came over and couldn't find a, a job, a stable job to support the family. And so you said, no, I'm going to make some decisions. I'm going to get the grades. I'm going to get the scholarships. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do the after school stuff. And you're the first one in your family to have a, a college education and a career path that looks a whole lot different than the one your parents had. And while you honor, honor the legacy of their ethic, you know that God has called you to break that generational cycle of poverty in your family. You say, I'm building something. It's a little different than what I inherited, but I'm building this. And although it's never been built before, I know this is what God is calling me to do. Everybody's building something. Maybe you're building a business or a brand or a product, or maybe you're building a culture within the organization that you work in, but everybody's building something. What are you building? Let me give you one of mine. We're building a church. We're building, I think, a pretty great church. And, and listen, listen, listen. I know that there is some pedantic-minded individual in here who's thinking to themselves, well, you don't build the church. Jesus builds the church. That's what it says in the Bible, Pastor Tim. So don't get up there and talk about That's how I imagine your voice in my head. That's how I read your emails when they come to me. I'm just kidding. And yes, I know Jesus builds his church. Okay, I know the Bible. I'm not suggesting that we created this of our own volition. This is all the hand of God at work in our midst. But you know how Jesus builds his church, right? With people, with obedient people that say yes to the call and lay down their lives and do what he's asked them to do. And that's what we're building. And in many ways, building a church in San Francisco kind of feels like building a boat in your backyard in the middle of the desert. This is not the place you go, you know, where would be a great city to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ where lots of people would probably accept it? How about San Francisco? No. This, this in many ways, it's like building something that doesn't exist. And I know that there's a lot of great churches in San Francisco, but, but listen, for my wife and I at least, this has never been done before. This is new to us. I'm grateful for the legacy that we were handed down and we had parents that instilled great godly values in us, but parents didn't plant churches. Her parents didn't plant churches. We don't come from a long line of pastors that taught us how to do this. We're just kind of faking it until we make it out here and trying to figure this whole thing out. All we had was a word from God and faith in our hearts to say, you know what? I'm willing to step out and build something, even if I've never seen it built before. And as it was for Noah, probably as it is for you, so it was and is for us. You endure a fair share of criticism when you decide to step out and start building something. The neighbors talk, if you will. And when we came to the city and we decided we were going to plant this church, there were some well-meaning pastors that offered their version of encouragement that was not encouraging at all. <laughs> hey, uh, why would you plant a church in the sunset? That's, a, that's not where you plant churches in San Francisco. You're the wrong nationality to plant a church in the sunset district, Tim. Okay. We endured our fair share of rejection. 
I remember when the door got shut on us at Lowell High School and they said, we don't want you to meet here. We're not interested in a church. And Aptos Middle School said they weren't interested in a church meeting there. And Mercy, the Catholic school, surely they will let us in. I'm sorry, we already have a Muslim school that meets here on Sunday, so we don't want to open up the doors to a Christian church because you guys might get like this. And I'm like, we're not like that. That door shut. The only place that was interested in letting us meet was the UA theater behind Stonestown, that dusty little theater that nobody goes to anymore. We were literally trying to figure out how we could unbolt chairs on a Sunday morning to build a kid's ministry in the back because we were willing to do whatever it took to build the church that we knew God had called us to build. And then someone turned us on to this place and we came in and our eyes were wide and we're like, this is awesome. And they're like, oh, you need it Sundays? Sorry, it's unavailable. Oh, okay. And then they called us back a week later and they said, hey, we actually like you guys. Let's go ahead and put you here on Sundays. Awesome. Hey, here's what it's going to cost. Oh. oh. (laughs) We looked around and we're like, "Eh, maybe we don't need this many chairs. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit put something in our heart. He said, no, this is the land that I'm calling to you to. And this is the church that I'm calling you to build. So don't worry about what anybody else is saying. Just set your feet down and say, I'm building something. Hey, but what about, no, I'm sorry, I'm building something. Have you considered, I'm sorry, we are building something that Jesus has called us to build. And when we went to two services a couple of years ago and people were saying, oh, we're going to burn out your team and why you're too arrogant thinking you need to go to two services. I said, I'm sorry, I can't listen to your negativity because we know this is what God has called us to do. So you can go if you need to go, but we're building something. And mark my words, at the end of this year, when by Jesus name, we were going to put a purchase contract together and buy a permanent facility and people go, that's too much money. And why would you waste your time? And you don't need that. We're going to say, I hear what you're saying, but I can't listen to your criticism right now because we We are building what God has called us to build. I don't care if it's never been built before. I don't care if it's never been seen before. I'm building something. You need to have, and I'm building something in your spirit. It's too big to let go of. It's too important to listen to the criticism. Do not be surprised when people do not see the vision that is in your heart. They can't see what you see because they haven't heard what you've heard. You've been with God and you have heard and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you stand on that word until you see what God has called you to construct it, built, building something. Faith walks, faith builds. I am way out of time. Band come. Number three, last one. Faith walks, faith builds. Last thought. Faith boards. Faith boards. So Noah gets done building the the ark. At the conclusion, he invites his family to step onto this boat with him. And they do. We read in Hebrews 11, Noah is named as this great man of faith, but what's interesting is we don't see any of the names of his family members. We don't see his wife, sons, their spouses. But consider for a moment the faith that it probably took for those family members to get on that boat. Perhaps they should be praised as well for their faith. It's one thing to be okay with your dad, crazy dad, building a boat in the backyard. It's another thing to say, I'm leaving my life behind And our families, we are placing our future in your hands, Noah. We're getting onto this boat with you. 
to hopefully save ourselves from something that we have never seen before. We're not even sure if it's actually gonna happen. That takes faith. And by faith, that family boarded the boat. While I believe that every follower of Jesus in the room here today is building something, I also believe that there's probably some people in the room today that need to board something. This story, yes, it's about a guy a couple thousand years ago named Noah who built an ark and saw his family saved as a result of doing what God asked him to do. But like all Old Testament stories, at the end of the day, it's actually about something much greater than Noah. Like all Old Testament stories, it's ultimately pointing to Christ. It points to Jesus. Jesus made a fascinating statement about himself in John chapter five. Uh, he was talking with some religious leaders and the religious leaders were talking about how much they loved the, the scriptures. And, and Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that those verses are gonna give you eternal life. But what you don't realize is that all the scriptures, they actually end up pointing to me. The whole Bible's about me. At that time, those religious leaders, they didn't have the New Testament. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, none of that existed. All they had was the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, the prophets, Psalms, Proverbs, that's, that's all they had. Jesus wasn't even born yet, and yet Jesus looks at all of these ancient stories in the Old Testament. He says, every one of those points to me. And yes, while this story is an inspiration from Noah, ultimately it's an invita invitation pointing to Jesus. Noah's name, by definition in the Hebrew, it means rest. His family members got to experience the rest of walking with Noah. When they heard about the judgment that was coming for the earth, they didn't have to live with anxiety about the coming judgment. Why? Because they were family to rest. They were involved with rest. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come unto me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I will give you rest for your weary souls. Hebrews 4 says that God's promise of rest still stands to all generations. How? Through Christ. Jesus is ultimately the greater Noah. The rest that Noah offered is ultimately only available in Jesus. Just as Noah chose to walk alone with God, so Jesus walked in a way with God that no human ever could. He was the only one to live on planet earth without sin and give his life up as a perfect sacrifice. Just as Noah entrusted his life to a boat that God called him to build, so Jesus entrusted his life to a cross. Just as Noah on that boat saved his life, through the flood waters of death, so Christ tasted death, but did not stay in a grave. Three days later, resurrected to new life and revealed himself to all of his disciples. Just as that ark landed on the top of a mountain called Ararat at the conclusion, so Jesus was on top of a mountain and gave up his life. And as Ararat means to reverse the curse, so every curse that was written over your life and over every future generation was reversed in Jesus. And just as relationship with Noah afforded his family protection, 
relationship with Jesus affords you the protection of eternal life so that when he splits the clouds and he comes back on a white horse with eyes full of fire and a sword coming from his mouth and he establishes a new heaven and a new earth, you don't have to worry about the coming judgment because you are sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, members of his family whom he will look at and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy set before you and rule and reign with me for eternity. Jesus is the greater Noah. And I'd be willing to bet that there's at least one person here today who needs that Noah rest for your soul. Your soul is anxious. If you were to enter into eternity today, you don't know whether that protection would exist for you because you don't know if you're a part of that family. The invitation stands to board the boat with Jesus, to entrust your life to him and become a part of this family. And that's how I'd like to conclude today, to invite you in if you're at a distance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I wanna say a very simple prayer with you if that's you today. But before I pray, let me just ask, if you're here this morning and you would say, Tim, I'm far from God and I don't feel like I'm a part of that family. I don't know if that protection and that rest is available to me, but I sense the Holy Spirit drawing me, calling me, and you know you need to get things right with Jesus. I wanna pray with you, but before I do, could you quickly look up at me and just lift your hands so that I know who I'm praying with? Thank you, got you right there. Yeah, right there in the back, awesome, bro. Yeah, right over here, awesome, right over here. Yeah, got you too, man, awesome. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say this, you can just repeat it after me in your heart, you don't have to say it out loud, but just pray along with me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you that you sacrificed your life for mine. Forgive me of my sin. I place my trust in you. I, I board your boat today. I, I know that my life has looked displeasing, but today I ask that you'd help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward, to live according to your convictions, to follow you so that in eternity, when you look me in the eye on that day, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's thank God for every one of those making a decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.